We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're dealing with living in a crisis. And the Greek word for crisis means decision. So there's three themes. Suffering, subjection, and salvation that are repeated through 1 Peter. There are five chapters. We're on the fourth one. And we're going to be dealing in chapter 4 with being up armored. Up armored. A baker was instructed to put a scripture on a cake with frosting. You know how they write inscriptions? And he was told, could you please put 1 John chapter 4 in verse 18? When that reads, there is no fear in love. But perfect love Casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Well, he was in a hurry, so in this wedding cake, he didn't put 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. He just put John chapter 4, verse 18. And the scripture reads on the wedding cake, For thou hast had five husbands and he whom thou hast is not now is <laughs> that he whom thou hast now is not thy husband in that saidest thou truly <laughs> hope it was discount cake but many years ago there's something called a humvee and it looks like a jeep and it's actually a bunch of letters crammed together. H-M-M-W-V. High mobility, multi-purpose, wheeled vehicle. Okay, they look like big Jeeps and they make civilian versions. But they were beginning to take enemy fire and have roadside bombs. So they decided to, and if you've probably heard of an up-armored Humvee. And it made me think of the A-Team, that show in the 80s where they were these rogue green berets that were on the run from the law and yes it was a movie they would go into these towns and they would help innocent people fight back right and they would take normal looking cars and tractors and they like weld all these steel plates on them and like make them into like a redneck tank or, or something like that well what were they doing they were up armoring those vehicles and what God speaks to us in chapter 4 is to up armor our mind. The Bible says in verse 1, let's look at verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. What is he saying? Up armor. Likewise with the same mind. The Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. You know that the Bible is really, the Bible applied in our mind is what God is really speaking about. But the Bible has literally saved people's lives. I was reading this article and it showed this Bible with a bullet in it. And in World War I, this guy was shot by a German and he had a Bible in his breast pocket in his uniform 
and it was a full hardback Bible, and the bullet went all the way through the Bible except for the last like 50 pages. I guess it got stopped by the book of Revelation or something. And so that young man was saved, and five generations later, the Bible's still in his like aunt's family, and there's a picture of it from the Daily Mail. It's a British newspaper. He's a British soldier. So the Bible can literally save you like armor, but that's not what the Bible's speaking about. Jesus Christ had a different mind. And the Bible said that he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Well, if we mortify the flesh, like it says in Colossians chapter 3, we don't let our body make the decision for us. We let our mind make the decisions for us. And that's having the up armor of God. The Bible says in verse 2 that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh. That means the life that we live down here. You meet someone and they say, how you doing? Like, I'm here in the flesh, right? To the lusts of men, but to the will of God. In in the life that we live, people want to influence you. And sometimes we gain influence from our own mind to do certain things. But the Bible says we need to up armor ourselves, and we don't live our life down here to do what everybody else does just because everybody's doing it. But the will of God begins to be the first thing in our lives. The Bible says in verse 3, for in the, the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, and mad dog 4040, okay, well, excess of whatever alcohol, revelings, partying, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Israel used to do a bunch of, you could do some research on it, we'll not get into it, but the false gods that they served involved a lot of like sexual practices and different things. It wasn't just that they served another god. There was some awful stuff that went along with serving these gods. And it's actually mentioned in the Bible, but we won't get into that. But the Bible said that was the time past. He said, but in verse 4, after he became a Christian, verse 4, wherein they, the people that aren't Christian that you used to hang with, think it's strange that you run not with them. You talk about running with the boys and running with the wrong pack. Well, now you don't do that anymore. That you don't run with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Isn't that interesting? You'd think when you came to church, people would be on your side like, man, you could do it. But it's not that way, right? They speak evil of you. That's why you need to up armor. It's like, oh, you goody two-shoes. You think you're better than everyone else. Or you give all of your money to God. No, I pay my tithe and I give in offerings, but I actually have a savings account, okay? Or I invest for the future. No one ever said you get all your money to the bar. No, it was like buying. I remember when I was a young man, I would buy a... I would buy uh, something for a complete stranger. I would spend money. I don't know if anyone's ever done that, but it's like, I don't even know you, and I'm buying you an alcoholic beverage. People don't come up to me at McDonald's, though, and just like, hey, man, I got your Big Mac, okay? It's just like something that people used to do. But, man, when you start to be a blessing in, in, in Christ, people call you evil, weird, whatever. But the Bible says in verse 5, if you have an up-armored mind, 
we need to realize we're going to give an account. Verse 5, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the lot, the living, the quick, and the dead. You know, when you're a kid and someone tells you to do something, you know what you say? You're not my mom. Why? Because you have no authority. Well, when you become a Christian, you start to realize that we need to live for one authority. We, 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 we need to please a very small audience, and that's God. Everybody else, they can just kind of, you know, if they don't like it, I'm so sorry. Not even sorry, right? But I have to please God. And if I please God, then I can help people if my mind is right first to please God. And it says, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. Uh, uh, Spiritually dead, right? You don't preach to people in the graveyard, okay? That's not what we're talking about. That they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, because of all of the attacks of the devil, the Bible says in verse 13 that we're supposed to take unto ourselves the whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand in the evil day. Why? Because there's going to be all kinds of stuff coming at you, and it said, above all, it lists all this armor that you're supposed to put on, right? And it said, above all, you're supposed to take what? This shield, this up armor, like a Humvee, and this says the shield of faith. And I don't know if you've ever seen those, maybe a movie or something like that where they shoot arrows. Arrows are not a direct fire weapon, okay? You don't shoot it. You do it at a target 10 yards away. But the, what they used to do they would light arrows on fire and you know they would shoot them at structures wood and different things and light them on fire but they would shoot all of these arrows and they would go up and like a mortar they were like mortars they would go up and then they would come down on your head and it's kind of like the devil he's the prince and the power of the air he tries to hit you here from up there so the bible says above all the shield of faith where is it gonna where the arrow is gonna come they're gonna come down So we need to lift that shield of faith up where that fiery arrow. Now, the devil likes to put crazy thoughts in your mind or, you know, weird stuff going on in there. But the shield of faith of trust in Jesus is able to quench that like uh, the excitement of that sin or whatever else the devil's putting in there or that temptation by trusting Jesus. That's the up armored mind. And it's taking really Jesus Christ into your thought patterns. Verse 11, or excuse me, verses 7 to 11. So that's verse 1 to 6, an up-armored mind. Verse 7 to 11, we need to have an up-armored perspective. Notice there's four things in verses 7 to 9. Four things. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. So sometimes what do people have? They have a perspective of, oh, it's Monday. I hate Mondays. Well, that's a Monday perspective, right? Some people on Friday, they're happy, right? Thank God it's Friday. They're not even Christian. They're going to the bar that night, but they're excited it's Friday, right? Well, hey, it's good. But Christians, we're not supposed to just have a payday Friday perspective or a Saturday perspective or I can't wait till it's vacation perspective, but an eternal perspective. That's a real up-armored perspective in our life. Because the Bible said the end of all things is at hand. You know when this was written? 2,000 years ago. 
And Peter said, if it's at hand back then, it's more at hand now. So if Peter was saying that back then, from all the generations up until now, it's closer to Jesus coming back. So because everything could end in a moment, he said there's four things that you need to do. First, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. That's the second one. The third thing, and above all, that's like the shield, right? Above all things, have fervent or on fire charity, love among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sin, sins. And then the fourth thing, use hospitality one to another without grudging. So four things. What's the first thing? Be sober. And I know that's talking about sober-minded, but you know that uh, you can be intoxicated and not know it. When I had a medical procedure done, I had to have my wife come pick me up. And if men get older, you'll see what I'm talking about. But uh, I would say it's a pain in the, you know, but, you know, it's, it's uh, so when you get, you get out, you need someone to take you home, right? And I remember I felt fine. I didn't feel, I didn't feel intoxicated. And this was a medical procedure. I wasn't, you know, at 57 heaven down the road, you know, but... I remember I got out of the seat to go get my daughter out of her car seat. And so I went into the back seat and I got out of the front seat. I was in the passenger seat. My wife was driving. And I got out and went to the back and I went to the wrong side of the car and opened the door. My daughter wasn't there. She was on the other side. And I thought for a second, that's what they're talking about. I am intoxicated I'm not sober that drug is still kind of you know making and I didn't feel it that's the thing sometimes we don't feel like we're under the influence of something but the Bible says that's why he wrote it there because you're not going to feel it you need to make sure that you have a clean sober mind because the end of all things is at hand and then the second thing watch unto prayer and Jesus was telling his disciples he would also tell us always tell them pray pray Paul what did he say Pray without ceasing. There's two kinds of prayer. There's a prayer life and a life of prayer. So a life of prayer is just praying all the time, right? Just breathing the word of God. Uh, uh, I even, when I saw a guy with like a leg brace on and he was kind of far away, he was walking, and I'm like, God, heal him. And you can do that. You can just pray all the time. But then a prayer life is a time that you have kind of set aside, whatever time of day or, or time, Maybe it's a period of time where you just get alone with God. Why? Because God said, we need to watch unto prayer. We need that time to pray. The third thing, above all, this is the outcome of the first two, right? Have fervent charity among yourselves. You know, when you love someone, you can't hate them. It says it shall cover a multitude of sins. If you pray for someone, someone who gets on your nerves... You really can't hold a grudge. That's not a one-car grudge or a two-car grudge, right? You can just really forgive them. Why? Because you've been praying for them. And the third thing comes out of the first two. And uh, the Bible even talks about especially honor all men. Honor all men, the Bible says. But then it says something else. Love the brotherhood. That there should be a special love among Christians. 
The third, the fourth thing, excuse me. Use hospitality. One to another without grudging. And the Bible says, every man let him give as he purposeth in his heart. Not grudgingly, because I have to, or of necessity. For God loveth what? A cheerful giver. Have you ever been to a restaurant? I, I like the Outback Steakhouse, which happens to be close to the church. And don't go there a lot, but years ago, prior to having a child, when you had money that you don't realize that you had, right? So to buy perfume and go out to eat and everything. And so we were out to eat at uh, the Outback Steakhouse. We call it Outback because we don't really buy steaks there. We buy chicken wings, okay? That's what we usually buy. Kookaburra wings, to be sure. And the waiter came over, and they'll say something like this. They'll introduce themselves. They sometimes sit at your table. They actually sit down at your table with you. And they say their name, and then they say, I'll be taking care of you. And I remember this one waiter. I still remember this because it was ex excellent. My wife and I were talking, and the, you know how they come back, can I get you another tea or water? And they totally interrupt your conversation. This guy was a pro. I don't remember if it was a guy or a lady, but I think it was a guy. So he saw that my Coca-Cola had gone down. Meow. So what he did, he just walked by and slid another Coke on the table and just kept walking. No one had to ask him. And I was like, wow, he got a good tip, right? But you know that that is that hospitality. What? It's the hospitality. And that's, you could actually make a lot of money as a waiter because people will pay. Not everyone. I know there's cheap skates out there, right? People will pay for good service. They only get paid a couple bucks an hour, okay, from the restaurant. That's not how they make their money. If they're depending on that, they'll be very hungry and they'll be living in their, on their Vespa moped, okay? But if they're a good server, they could make $20, $30, $40 an hour easily. Why? Because they have that right attitude. Now, so here's your sandwich, you know, but you know what? It's the same thing. And I, I offer that and I share that. Say, preacher, but it's not my job. That's their job. But if God tells me something to do, isn't it my job? If God says, use hospitality one to another without grudging, that means God tells me to be a good host, a cheerful giver. You know, don't use, all, use only three squares of toilet paper. Last time you used the roll. You don't say that to a guest when they come over, right? Because you're hospitable. You'd be surprised. Well, some people do, okay? But the Bible says that we're to have a... And you say, oh, preacher, but I don't want... Well, don't have anyone over then. Don't have someone over and mess them up, right? But have them over, love them, take care of them, and be a blessing to them. Verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, and God, whatever God gives us, you know what? It's a gift. If God's given you... Uh, a good attitude or God's given you a blessing, realize that it came from God and I'm just passing out what God already gave to me. Amen. Even so, minister the same one to another. It says, what do you have that you didn't receive? What, what, what do you have in God that you have not received that it's been freely given? Everything I have, I remember uh, there was a time uh, I had a pastor named Pastor Davis and there came a time in his life and he said, everything I have and he's from North Carolina. So he said it like this. He said, God, give it to me. He said, everything I have. And, uh, and I've been a, uh, a minister, a full-time minister for a couple of years. And it's like, man, if God gives us something or if, if we have it, 
And it's really from the Lord. We're thankful that, and, and it's a blessing. When you, but it also makes you realize you're not self-sufficient. You've got God helping you. And if God's giving you something, why don't you be a blessing to someone and show that freedom in giving? Not like uh, you have to or be grudging about it, but just do it with a simple giving and a, and a good heart. As the stewards of the manifold grace of God. Uh, sometimes my daughter gets in trouble and I will, you know, threaten, but it's totally psychological warfare, right? Because I don't even like to correct my kid, but I'll be like, do you want this or do you want that? And she goes, no, daddy, I want mercy. I want grace. And I'm like, you, you want grace? She's like, yes. And I said, okay, you can have grace, you know, but I really wanted to give her that anyway. But you know, what we're looking for is the change in her attitude so that we can be a steward of the grace of God. Why? Because don't we want the grace of God? I do. I want the grace of God. I don't want to get a spanking from the Lord. He's got big hands, okay? But God wants to give us grace too. Thank God, right? And then we give each other grace. If any man speak, let him speak as to the oracles, as the oracles of God or the prophecies of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. There again, God's giving all these gifts that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, when Paul went to preach in Antioch for a year, he had this revival there. The result of the revival, the Bible said they were first called Christians in Antioch. It didn't say they called themselves Christians. People saw their attitude and they're like, they're acting just like Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. He had been, he was risen from the dead and he'd gone up to heaven. But Paul was preaching and people got saved and their lives changed. And people began to look and say, there's a bunch of people that are starting to act different than they used to. What are they? They're like little Jesuses, little Christs. That's where the name came from. Verse 12 to 19, an up-armored attitude. So in the beginning, we had a mind. Then we had a perspective. And then it just comes out to our entire attitude. Verse 12 to 19. Beloved, and this is kind of similar to the beginning of James. It says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you. You know, you get saved and you think, it's going to be roses. And then it's all thorns, right? But it's like, wait a second, what happened? It's strange. And it's like, we have a revival coming up soon, and I, as a pastor, have a different perspective and uh, see what's going on from it. And I'm like, well, that's about right. Revival's coming up, and all this crazy stuff is going on. Think it not strange. I know it's not strange. And uh, because it's a trial, and you know, there's a, there's a spiritual warfare that goes on in a Christian's life. But the word circumstances comes from two Latin roots. To stand and... The word around is the other word. And so circumstances are those things that stand around us. I mean, and there's all kinds of circumstances. Uh, But Christ can cause us to stand in any circumstances. How, preacher? We get up armored with the armor of God. Verse 13, what's our outcome in all these crazy things? The Bible says I have an opportunity. Verse 13, but rejoice. Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, 
ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. You know, there's going to be different people that they will uh, always have something negative to say about God. But here's the Christians saying positive things about God. And you know what? Time will tell which one was right. I was reading this illustration some years ago. There was a kind of a forgotten American forefather called George Whitfield. He was an English preacher in the American colonies. So he died in Newburyport, Massachusetts. That's a mouthful. And the word of his death spread around the world. Well, there was a sailmaker in Portsmouth named Benjamin Randall. And he had heard Whitfield and he hated him. He hated this preacher. At noon on the day of the great preacher's death, the town crier went about Portsmouth shouting, Whitfield is dead. Whitfield is dead. And it said the words thundered into this man's soul. Falling to his knees, he cried aloud, Whitfield is dead. Whitfield is in heaven, but I am on the road to hell. Shaken, the young man yielded his heart to God where he knelt. In time, he would preach the gospel himself and launch the free will Baptist movement. So the end of one man's life changed another man's life. You know, the life that you live is influencing people. And they might say one thing, but our life has power to influence someone else for Jesus Christ, whether it's in life or whether it's in death. But the Bible says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. I hope no one murdered anyone today. Unless you murdered someone in football, right? Or something like that. Or on call of duty, right? But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in, a busybody in other men's Facebook. I mean Twitter. I mean matters. That's what it says. Matters, right? It's a busybody. In some, all up in someone's business. All up in someone's grill, right? You know, you don't want to do that. So... Uh, this minister parked his car in a no parking zone. Large city, short on time, and he wrote this thing on his windshield, left it under his wiper. It said, I've circled the block 10 times. If I don't park here, I'll miss my appointment. And then he wrote, forgive us our trespasses. When he came back, he found a citation, a ticket under his wiper. It said from the police officer, I've circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. <laughs> if any man, verse 16, yet if any man, if any woman suffer as a Christian, because you go to church, because you read your Bible, because you pray before you eat, okay? For, for living like a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the life that you live. That's that up-armored life. But let him glorify God on this. This is the meat of the chapter. Let him glorify God on this behalf. See, that people are going to see that contrast, light versus dark. That's how we see things, light and dark contrast. And if people see the light, they'll mock it. But you know what? They need it. And they need to see a rejoicing Christian. For the time has come that judgment must begin 
at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? You know, how do you clean something? Let me tell you. Do you clean from the bottom up? Do you like clean from the bottom and then you go up? Of course not. You clean from the top. The top, you don't clean the bottom, the floor, and then wipe the fridge off, you know, the top of the fridge and get all the dust on your clean floor. You start at the top and then you go down. It's the same spiritually. God starts with his church. He starts with his people. He starts with revival. And then God begins to go down and clean all the other things. But the Bible says uh, that judgment will begin where? At the top, at the house of God, with the Christian, with the preacher. And then he will begin. God's not going from the bottom up. All you people get right, then I'll begin to pray. No, that's not how God works. God starts with us. The Bible says, And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them? What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? That's why the Bible said that Paul said, Knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. And verse 18, two verses, And if the righteous scarcely be saved. How are they? What do you mean scarcely be saved? We are saved just by faith, not by our works, but by our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's barely, it says, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Will there appear before the great white throne judgment and then be cast into hell? That's pretty sobering stuff, but that's the reason to serve God. There's two ends that we're going to face. <laughs> back, when, uh, back in the day, they used to say, when you fly, would you like smoking or non-smoking? Well, that's eternity. Smoking or non-smoking? Non-smoking, please. Okay. And uh, the Bible says, Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him, listen, in well-doing, in well-doing as unto a faithful creator, up-armored mind. Let us pray. Father, we've spoken of your word in 1 Peter chapter 4. Lord, let us up-armor our mind. Let us up-armor our perspective. Let us up-armor our attitude. Let us rejoice. Let us live before men and women to be that example, to be that light to a world, to attract men and women unto a very real, very capable, and very much alive Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.